Sophie didn't like me because I was wearing a suit jacket and using the voice I saved for my parents' friends. Also, she said, it was because I said no to a slice of her cake. She said she thought, twat, and plotted putting extra butter on my peas to make me fat. Still, I liked her right away. But I hadn't got to Sophie in her kitchen yet, and I should say things in the order in which they happened. Fred landed in slapping winds at Guernsey Aero Club. There was no passport control. Customs only come if they don't like your surname, Fred said as he yanked my bag out of the hold, then clarified, Arabs. Just a taxi waiting, a people carrier, pearly purple, full of tree air fresheners and loud radio. We drove out of the airport, so that first time I only saw Guernsey through glass. The roads were thinner than on the mainland, the pavements like pencils, but the buildings were proper ones, like you'd see in normal cities, and there were full-size offices with proper signs, where real people must have worked. I don't know why I found this surprising, but I did. I just expected an island to be different. The driver played his radio and hummed different tunes on top. He didn't try and talk to me, and I was happy with that. A feeling kept on coming in waves. Someone was running a rolling pin over the inside of me, making it so thin it almost went away. That was panic, I think. I wanted the taxi to go slower. I prayed for red lights and zebra crossings and things that get in the way, but the singing driver drove me straight to St. Peter's Port and right up to the seawall. Defoe's lot, he shouted out the window. Can I whack the boxes on? Then he swung out of his car and hoisted my cargo onto the white and navy ferry for Sark. It was called the Sark Venture, and it didn't leave for another thirty minutes. At first I was alone with the ticket man. I wondered if I could ask him questions. I wanted to know what Sark was like and if he lived there. I wanted to know if he knew the Defoe's. I wanted to know if it would all be okay. But I sat on a plastic seat below deck and wrote texts I never sent. I thought that if I tried to speak it would come out funny. I tasted my cheeks, and even though I was still, I tasted iron as if I'd been sprinting. Other people got on the boat, but nobody else was travelling alone. It took all day to get there. By the time I set foot on Sark, it was evening, and the air was heavy with fog. There's a lighthouse on the west side of the island, and its foghorn is thick and low. It only sounded twice that summer, but my first night was one of them. There was still brightness in the sky, but it couldn't light the sea anymore, and I remember thinking that the water looked like tar. I pulled my suitcase up the harbour steps, and I could have been anywhere. I'd had too much coffee, and I hadn't had lunch. I could smell my mum on the lapel of the jacket, and I could smell the sea. I leant my bag against the cold harbour wall and waited. There was a blonde boy sitting on the wall a few metres away, watching the people get off the boat. His jawbone ran like a metal bar under his cheeks, and he was shifting it from side to side. I watched it make shadows on his face, and then I looked away and looked for a man. Defoe would be fifty-ish. I hoped he'd be holding a sign. But when everyone had got off the boat, it was only me, fisherman in overalls, and this blonde boy left. Finally, 
I wondered if this was the sun, and said, Excuse me? My voice sounded very high. He didn't look over. I said excuse me again, and then, when he turned around, I said, You're not Pip, are you? Yes. Jude. I went to shake his hand. I'm Jude. No, you're not. Yes. Jude the tutor? No, Jude's a man. I thought maybe I'd slipped through a rip and walked into the wrong world. But I am Jude, I said. And you're, you say you're Pip, Edward's son. Eddie. Still, I looked behind the blonde boy for someone older.